Hi everyone, my name is PK and here I have Richie Muir from Law Lab. He is a solicitor or lawyer and in this episode, I actually have never had a lawyer or solicitor on my channel before so it's going to be like a new um, thing we're going to discuss. We're going to go over basically all things or the most important things to do with the legal process of how to buy a property. So like, you know, the best clauses to put into a contract in that sort of special conditions box. We're going to talk about different states have different processes like WA has a, I would say, much more conservative process than other states. So how not to be tripped up. There are like some real horror stories of how people like just get the legal process wrong. So Richie's going to take us through like kind of his best advice on how to avoid that. And just in general, if you're new to property investing, you know, he's just going to help you, I guess, overcome those nerves, so to speak, and, and just like be confident in that legal process. I always say, you know, to build a team is really important. You need a conveyance or a lawyer. You need a mortgage broker. You need a building and pest inspector. You need property managers, et cetera. So obviously Richie is as a lawyer, is a, is a key aspect of that team. So thank you for making time, Richie, and uh, good to have you here. Uh, thanks very much, PK. A pleasure to be here. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name is PK, and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence, and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. So maybe we'll just take you, um, take us on a bit of a, a background of of like your, I don't know, your professional history. I, I don't know if this is right, but I was just talking to you on LinkedIn before and I saw you went to QUT. Um, if that's true, then I won't hold you against it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, well, my background, um, I, I was born in Australia, but uh, grew up in in Europe. So Malta, England and then Scotland. So I went to university, Glasgow. University of Glasgow um, right. and did my law degree there and then I came back to Australia and did a conversion course at uh, QUT so right. that was essentially topping up a, a, a sort of Scottish law degree with some Australian subjects so that was back in 2006 um, so yeah I've been practicing law um, in, uh, in in Queensland and Australia nationally um, for the last 15 years or so um, and I'm a legal director at Law Lab now. And we're a we're a national property law firm, um, which is quite uh, unique in the sense of um, there's very few, um, uh, I guess you know, uh, property lawyers specialising in conveyancing on a national basis. So we cover every state and territory in Australia. Well, what do you think that is? Like this is just like a off the script question. Like you're kind of unique. There's not. There's you could probably count on on one hand how many national conveyances that there are that operate in all states and territories why do you think like well why did you go down that route and like why do many people don't many firms don't do that well it's kind of like dealing with eight different countries um every, uh, particularly with property law every state and territory has uh you know their own set of property laws and and conveyancing practices so it's not just the laws but 
It's how each state and territory deal with the practice of conveyancing. Um, and then it's also the delivery of conveyancing as well. Um, you know, in some states, it's uh, exclusively done by lawyers like Queensland. Yeah. Um, uh, but in other states, uh, you have both lawyers and conveyances who, who deliver conveyancing services. Um, and in other states, they call it even something else, like in WA, they call it settlement agents. Um, and um, and often, the, you know, the scope of work um, and what what each um, legal professional can do differs between those states. So yeah, it's it's um, it's difficult to set up uh, a, a conveyancing business that deals with every jurisdiction. But it, yeah, it's we've been doing it now um, on a national basis for well over ten years, um, and we've got a big team who who specialise in each of those jurisdictions. So right. oh, it's not easy. It's been a it's been a fun journey to get there. Yeah. And also, sorry, this is a bit of a cheeky question, but it's like an honest, it's well-meaning. Like how lawyers, even accountants, it's like a very, on the face of it, it's like a very quote unquote boring profession. Um, I'm sure like once you get into the nitty gritty, like in anything, you you find a lot of joy, I, I would assume, like no, in, yeah. in, in what you do. Is that true? Or? Well, I don't think anyone's ever said conveyancing is sexy. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's often an underrated part of the of the buying process. Um, you know, we like to think of it kind of like well, we think uh, consumers should think of it like like insurance. You know, um, uh, most of the time, uh, you know, the um, a transaction will go through smoothly. But it, it's, I guess, you, like insurance, you want to have the best insurance, but pay a reasonable price. You want to be covered in the event of something going wrong. So that's. You know where we're involved is we we know what to look out for we know the risks we manage the risks for you and you know most of the time uh, you know it'll be, a, it'll be a straightforward transaction which is great but um you know uh, buyers and sellers need to have someone there who can look out for those risks and protect and make sure that that uh, you know um you know they're buying what they what they mean to buy um and they're, they're protected right right well i remember when i um when i bought my first property this was more than 10 years ago um the conveyancer like navigated me on the contract of sale it was in um new south wales um to the special conditions box um and they sort of said look this is where you can put in basically anything you want as long as it's like worded appropriately and reasonably and like for me that was like oh like there's not just a standard contract everything can be negotiated from fixtures and fittings to like the you know how healthy that the house is and sort of its structural stability even like when settlement occurs or exceptions that there's like you know you can put I remember that first property I think I like I had like an addendum to that special conditions box as everything couldn't even fit in there but ever since then I just kept refining that kept refining that and that was for me and part of the conveyancing process for me that special conditions box is like one of the most important things and we'll talk about like the process at at a more macro or broader level but just to kind of zoom right into that special conditions box so to speak or just clauses in general you know, when someone, a new property investor or even an experienced property investor is porting in an offer, they're giving that contract to the agent, you know, what are the clauses or what are some clauses apart from just the building and pest and finance that they should be considering at least to, to make yeah. sure that yeah. that deal is is in their favor? Yeah, so you're right. Um, so there's most jurisdictions have a standard form of contract. Um 
And that's just to enable, you know, um, the transactions to happen relatively quickly. So the real estate institutes or law societies will have a standard form of contract and that will enable a lot of the sales agents to complete a, that standard form. Um, but drafting special conditions um, requires a legal practitioner. So a lawyer or conveyancer can only draft special, special conditions. An agent can use um, a, a special conditions book that has been prepared by a lawyer, for example, and copy paste those in uh, to contracts. Um, but yeah, all contracts fundamentally um, are negotiable. So um, as a property investor, you know, you can negotiate whatever terms you want to, but there's still market forces at play here. You need to understand um, that, you know, you can't expect that everything you ask for will be agreed. Um, and you've got to consider, well, what competition are you up against? Are there other buyers who are interested? Um, a seller, an agent more likely to accept a, a more vanilla offer, you know, from another buyer right. than a really complicated offer from from you know from one buyer so you need to bear that in mind but um some of the fundamental uh, special conditions you would use if you need to and there's no point in using special conditions for the sake of it you you, you use them um, when you need to but um so it, it may depend on the transaction type or, or property type if you're buying an existing property um one of the big things i always say is well have there been any works done to that property um since it was originally built has it been an extension um, has there been a carport constructed or a pergola or a large shed, something like that? Um, and if it has, do you know if that's been approved? And do you know if they've had the final certificates? And and a lot of the time, you can only get that information from the council. Um, so, uh, and that can take time and you may not have time to find that out before you go to contract. So therefore, a, a due diligence uh, special condition is very useful in that regard. Uh, and due diligence usually will give the buyer 14 or 21 days to undertake due diligence investigations about the property. Um, and if they're not satisfied for any reason with the results of those investigations, they can pull out of the contract and, and get their deposit back. So um, that that's that's a very good uh, condition to use, the property investor. It gives you, a, you know, it's kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card yeah. um, and can extend to pretty much everything. Um, but of course, you know, sellers and agents will understand that, that, you know, and they want the contract to go unconditional as soon as possible. So if you do, if a property investor does get any pushback with a due diligence special condition, they might want to refine that um, and based on what concerns they might have. So um, in that example before, if they thought that there'd been an extension, they weren't sure about the approval or whether it had been uh, in, constructed in accordance with the approval and had the final inspection, uh, you know, they might just have a special condition saying that this contract is is subject to, um, you know, the buyer confirming that, um, you know, that the approvals are in place or that the satisfactory council uh, records uh, are obtained, so things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's the, probably the, the biggest um, uh, special condition that we recommend is a due diligence or refined version of due diligence. Yeah, right. I mean, the number of times that you, you know, you see people buy, a property and it's not a bad thing um that has like an unapproved carport or anything like that and it, honestly it might not even matter <laughs> you know no one might pick up on it forever but if in case you have one of those neighbors yeah. who does then that's like a whole hassle to go through that process or have to take it down and you just don't want to be caught in that lurch uh, yeah well i mean i think there's something like stats say 30 to 40 percent of all properties in australia have some kind of unapproved structure on them um, e e either unapproved itself or they or it's being constructed 
uh, not in accordance with the approval that they did obtain and hasn't mm-hmm. had the final inspection certificate. Um, so that, you know, that's, as you said, may never be an issue, um, but uh, it very well potentially could be because usually most insurance policies require you to disclose to the insurers whether there are any unapproved structures or or there's a positive obligation to say that this property, you know, has all the approvals. Yeah, right. And that will be in the fine print somewhere. But, of course, uh, you know, then there's been, uh, there was a, a major incident in, uh, you know, in, in Brisbane a few years ago where, you know, there was a there was a party at an old Queenslander and, you know, on a deck and the deck hadn't been approved and, you know, it collapsed and people were injured. So in that scenario, you know, the insurers will will be asking questions about the approvals. Um, so it, yeah, it it um, it is important to check that stuff out. Okay, cool, cool. And and do you have like any stories or any anecdotes of like I suppose the biggest failings that your clients or people that you've heard of investors or property buyers have experienced because they haven't not just regarding these special conditions but just regarding the whole conveyancing process in general they haven't understood it they haven't done it right they've maybe worked with a dodgy conveyancer what what are things that could go wrong um generally speaking throughout the process yeah well yes there's, there's been a lot of a lot of examples over the years but one what the first one that comes to mind is um uh and it sounds basic but actually inspecting the property um uh before settlement so um you know, we had a client who, despite us reminding them to do so, um, you know, had gone unconditional um, and then hadn't uh, sent someone round to inspect the property pre-settlement. And this had been tenanted um, and they were planning to move in as owner occupiers, but wasn't inspected. And when they finally, they settled and got there um, and, and saw the state of the place and it was, um, it'd been left in an absolute mess. Um you know, so there was, you know, bed bugs and there was cockroaches in the kitchen and it was just nobody had, uh, you know, cleaned up. Um, and usually the contracts require uh, the property to be in the same state of settlement as it was at the contract date, yeah. with a bit of fair wear, fair wear and tear accepted. Um, but because they hadn't inspected it before settlement, they were left with this property in a really terrible condition. There's been other examples where um, yeah, people just rip stuff out, you know, um, uh, and taken it with them or just dumped it in the garden haven't haven't tied it up so um that's a really important thing to do uh, and if you're an interstate investor then you know think about getting um, someone local around before settlement and checking it for you yeah. um, whether that's your intended property manager or, or someone else like that um, it is really important to do that before settlement because if you leave it till after and, and the seller's been paid their money it's very difficult to to get dam- damages after that yeah. Um, in that example, with our client, we did manage to um, uh, recover some money from them as compensation. But you know, there's a bit of a process, um, and it can end up costing extra in legals to do that. Right. Um, so that's a, that was an important lesson for that client. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, another. I mean, another another funny example. Well, funny in some way. It, it ended up all right in the end, but um, a, a client bought the wrong property. So they had there was a, a, a duplex. Um, and it was a, a developer was selling, and you know, so you know, it was like one and one A, um, and they'd gone to inspect it with the agent, and they were thought they were buying the property on on the left, um, and the agent had assumed, okay, well that must be lot one, you know, 
Uh, so the contract was signed. Um, you know, all the searches were done, the plans were done, provided the plan. Oh, yeah, that's you know, that's lot one, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, and then ultimately, uh, after settlement, when they got their keys and they went, well, this yeah, this is this key doesn't work. And then they realised it was the they bought the house, the wrong house it was next door. So fortunately, in that situation, we're able to unravel that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and 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 end up end up getting the property. And there, were, there weren't too many complications, but uh, just everyone involved in the transaction, um, you know, missed that. But really, it, it was uh, the importance of that is the client, um, you know, checking those plans and and letting you know and, and really um, letting their their lawyer conveyance to know, you know, well which is which property is the one they're buying. Um, because you know the the legal stuff was all fine. Uh, the contract matched matched everything, but um, it's up to the client to, to really you know check those kind of things. Yeah, I guess that's also kind of extrapolating that point a little bit further as well. It's it's important not just to blindly trust. I guess everything that the the real estate agent is saying. There's some fantastic agents out there as well. So credit where credit is due. But you know they can make mistakes or they can kind of stretch the truth a little bit as well when it comes to um, easements or or things like that. So it's really important to get a conveyancer to actually you know if it forms within that falls within that realm um, to actually check all those things and the searches. Um, and I might just touch on on searches for a second. Um, in the conveyancing process, Richie, as you know much better than I do, uh, there's various searches that happen to to basically form your due diligence of that property. These searches involve um, talking to or getting records from counsel, things that you know I couldn't really do that easily myself, but a conveyancer or a lawyer is much um, is more appropriate to do those. Yeah. What are those searches? Like I know there's there's like lists of them. There's dozens and dozons of dozens, but what are like the, the yeah. major ones? Well, it depends on what state for start, what jurisdiction. Um, there are there are some jurisdictions in Australia where there's a, a vendor disclosure regime. Um so for example, in New South Wales, uh, and and even more so in Victoria and uh, South Australia in ACT, um, the the seller um, must disclose a whole bunch of information about the property. And this is this is prescribed in legislation. So um, they, they call them prescribed documents in New South Wales and um, Section 32 vendor statement in Victoria, the Form 1 uh, vendor statement in South Australia and, and the ACT as well. The ACT goes as far as requiring the seller to provide a billion press report attached to the contract disclosure. So those states, um, uh, you know, there's a good amount of disclosure. Um, you need to make sure that's up to date, um, but there may be additional searches that the buyer wants to do. Um, those council building records for a start or any outstanding notices about the property. Um, and then in the, then in the, on the flip side, in the other jurisdictions, uh, Queensland, there's, there's relatively limited disclosure um, for, from a seller's point of view. Uh, for units, there's, there's a bit of disclosure, so you know about the levies and things like that. Um, and off the plan, there's a fair bit of disclosure, but for existing properties, it's quite limited. Um, and that's the case as well, uh, very similar in WA, uh, NT, and Tasmania. Um, so for those for those um, uh, jurisdictions, you know, we would recommend a, a bunch of searches, um, and um, with our search, so we obviously send out a search form for clients, but we, we explain when they might need searches. So rather than just having a list of twenty searches, you know, and the buyer being left to, to consider, well, well, which one of these should I get? Because of course, they all have a cost to them. 
Yeah. Um, and if you were to order them all, you, you could end up spending thousands of dollars. Um, so you really need to consider what a, what searches are relevant. Um, if you're buying a, a house, you know, that's near a, a main road, you might want to do a main road search to see if the council or the state um, are planning to resume or, or widen that road. Um, uh, because if they do, then you could lose your property. Um, yes, you'll be compensated for it, but it's the last thing you want to happen. So a main road search, um, you know, or if there's a you know recent uh, recent subdivision, uh, you know, uh, on maybe it's been on previous farmland or or near a petrol station, the land might have been contaminated. So you know, a, a search of those records, or if you're buying a you know a really old house, you know, checking on the heritage register. Um, but the most popular searches we find our clients doing would be the council records to make sure that. Um, you know, the approvals are in place and the final inspection certificates are in place. Um, and for, for anyone buying units or townhouses, uh, a body corporate inspection of records, that's mm. the, if you were to do nothing else when buying a unit, you should be ordering one of those and it can cost four to $500. Um, but that involves a strata inspection agent actually um, uh, uh, reviewing all the records. So... All the, they got all the minutes of meeting from the AGMs and committee um, meetings um, and looking to see if there are any, you know, issues. There might have been defects with the common property. Um, you know, the building uh, roof might be, you know, leaking uh, or there might be, you know, uh, repairs that are needed to the swimming pool. Um, so as a buyer, you'd want to understand what they are because they can turn into big costs and, and shared by every owner in the body yeah. corporate. Um, and you'll usually be able to find out if any special levies have been struck as well. And you often find that a lot of people sell um, units and townhouses before they have to pay these special levies. So <laughs> it's it's really important to know. And it's, it's not, and because it's a, a decent cost, hmm. it's not something we um, that we say is uh, compulsory. It's highly recommended, mm -hmm. but it's up to the buyer to decide whether they want to invest in that. Um, but as as a as an investor myself. I would always spend that money on getting an inspection of body corporate records. Yeah, right. I mean, especially if there's a elevator or swimming pool, like you said, or tennis court or anything like that. Oftentimes, as you know, there'll be a from the body corp, there'll be a projection of like future intended costs. And if there's nothing left in the sinking fund, um, then you know that someone's going to have to pay for it. And it's probably going to be absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's a really good call out. Um, you did mention or you did touch on the kind of nuances state to state. I thought we'd just dive in deeper for, for a second on, you know, how in WA to get out of a contract once you've gone conditional, uh, it's it's almost impossible to get out of that contract, you know, for example, on the building and pest inspection clause, whereas in Queensland, it's like, it's very, I wouldn't say very easy, but much easier so long as you have the right uh, clauses in there, especially in the special conditions box, as we were talking earlier. Um, could you kind of further expand upon on sort of how the uh, the regulation or the the legal structure in WA is different? And is it just WA or is it are there other states as well that are a bit like that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the contract terms. Um, so in WA, you'll find you'll find that um, it, there's a very, uh, it's, I guess, it's industry standard. Um, uh, uh, structural um, defects, um, special condition, and and uh, the pest uh, special condition, and so essentially, yeah, un unlike uh, Queensland, where um, a building pest condition, the buyer must act reasonably, but really, if there's any kind of defect, 
um, uh, then they can terminate the contract. Um, that's you know as long if it's not satisfactory to them acting reasonably. And what is reasonable? Um, it's very difficult to prove that someone's being unreasonable about something. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, maybe if it was a, a leaking tap, okay, and you terminate a contract, maybe that's being unreasonable. But um, you know, if yeah, anything that could incur you know, a, a significant cost, it would be reasonable to terminate a building contract as a contract based on the building pest condition. In practice, you'll often find that um, you know there'll be some negotiations about that, and ultimately the seller may agree to fix defects or or even reduce the price um, to cover the cost of those defects. Whilst in some jurisdictions like um, Western Australia and Victoria, um, those building pest conditions usually are limited to structural defects. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you may need to get, uh, you know, the building inspector, you know, um, you, you need to get a licensed building inspector to confirm whether or not they're, they're structural defects. And often there's often there's dispute about that as well. Um, so it, it can be much harder to terminate a contract in WA and Victoria because of those special conditions. But don't assume that's always the case. Um, you do need to check the actual terms of the contract, the special conditions of the contract. Uh, and that's where your you know lawyer a conveyancing or a conveyancer should be should be advising you on that. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people that I, I know that have bought in Perth um, over the last number of years, and they've actually put in special conditions and been able to negotiate on the back of building and pest inspections, even if there hasn't been um, structural, you know, major structural defects. But by and large, as you said, and I just want to pick up that point because, like, how objective or subjective is there? Is that so? For example, if there's a, like a crack in the wall. And I, as the buyer, say it's like a huge structural issue, but the seller is saying, actually, it's not a crack in the wall. It's just cosmetic. It's around the paintwork. It's just around the plaster. How do you, as a, as a legal professional, how do you figure out what the truth is? Like, do you have to get an engineer in there and do they have to write a report? Like, what's that process? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's a common cause of disputes, particularly in WA. Um, and often you can go around in circles with this. So um, ultimately, you know, what is a structural defect and what isn't um, needs a, a licensed professional, a structural engineer um, to, to confirm that. And we've had to engage them in the past. Uh, and then, of course, there's a cost associated with that. Yeah. Um, so these things need to be considered in the context of, you know, the extent, the extent of the damage and cost to rectify. Um, but, you know, structural defects can, can be very costly to rectify. So... Um, you know, it may be worth, uh, you know, paying paying for that advice from a structural engineer on yeah. that one. Um, but, you know, the better way to deal with this, of course, is not to, you know, as, as a buyer, um, to get your contract reviewed before you sign anything. Um, and, and ideally, we can negotiate, uh, you know, a broader special condition um, that doesn't, isn't just limited to structural defects uh, and potentially even a due diligence condition so that you don't have to do to dispute whether or not something is uh, structural or not. Um, ultimately, if you're not satisfied with something, then you can pull out the contract. Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's wise advice. It's always a bit of constructive friction in terms of like in a really hot market. Do we really have that luxury yeah. of doing yeah. it? I would love to do it. I, I There was a recent case of a um, actually a client of mine who, I don't know this either, it was a learning moment for me 
where the garage was not attached. It was a detached garage. And that actually had a small, like a one centimeter crack. It wasn't huge and it was detached and it wasn't a big deal. But because it wasn't attached, it didn't fall into that strict category of major structural defect. And so she couldn't actually exit the contract or there was no repercussions on the seller because it was detached. She still negotiated and she still got some money off it to be able to fix it. But that was just probably because she was a really good negotiator. So there's there's all these nuances and kind of like sub caveats and things that it's just impossible for like me to know. So it's really important to, to see a conveyancer or a solicitor, um, I guess, for that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, the other thing, I mean, if if the contract was still conditional upon finance, there, there might be a question. Well, would would the would the bank, you know, if, if they're aware of a structural defect, would they would they approve? Would would they accept this this property as security mm. for the loan? So that that might need to be investigated as well at the time as a last resort. Right. So in that in that vein or line of thinking, maybe in some instances, I don't know if you'll disagree with this, uh, Richie maybe it's good to have the building and pest inspection done ASAP as soon as you exchange contracts and then have your finance um, clause a little bit further out so you've got like that stop gap another sort of thing to fall back on um have you have from you a buyer's it? perspective yeah, yeah yeah that's correct um yeah and just before I mean, we... listen most most property investors you know would, would probably want to get some kind of pre-approval pre-approval at least of course before they yeah. put offer offers in so that they'd have that comfort that they're not overextending themselves by signing a contract um and then yeah i mean there's a, there's a cost to investing and buying property and um you know i think it's a it's a reason reasonable to to, to have that you know to, to pay something to get a, a licensed professional to check out the property and see if there's any issues with it um, and even if you ultimately don't end up getting finance approved for some reason, um, mm. at least you haven't bought a lemon in the end. So um, it's 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 a it's it's an investment in the, in the property. Yeah, no, for sure. Get your finance. Um, you know, have a really good in- engagement with the mortgage broker before you put in any offers in. Um, that's that's obviously very important. And and just before we we wrap up, I thought I'd just ask you this more of a like a macro and overarching sort of thing. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been running your business. Uh, for a long time, you've probably dealt with thousands of newbie investors, thousands of experienced investors in the residential space, no doubt commercial as well. Um, what's like, you know, if if someone, was, let's say I don't know anything about property and I, I ring you up, Richie, and be like, uh, um, you know, I, I need some help. Uh, I don't know how to go about this or, you know, what should I be thinking about? What questions should I even be asking you as my conveyancer? What's like what's like advice you have? What's sort of some points perhaps that you would give to to brand new investors just to kind of get them up to a level of knowledge where they're actually being able to manage their team, i.e. manage their conveyancer? Yeah, well, um you obviously need a good team around you. Um and and it's the buyer's responsibility to to choose that team wisely. Um, but ideally, well, I mean, what what we do, we use a um, a platform, online platform called Rundle, which means that the, the the client doesn't necessarily need to manage their team as much because we invite their team in to Rundle. So, um, you know, um, our clients will have their mortgage broker involved. They might, you know, um, might have a buyer's agent. Maybe maybe not your clients, but um, you know, uh, the, the real estate agent might be involved as well. Um, so there's trans they all and that they're all they're involved in the transaction. So they've got the transparency of what's going on. And that that saves the buyer 
um, from having to manage and then and then contact everyone separately. Um, so they all know what's going on. And that, and that makes the whole process a lot smoother. Of course, there's still barriers in place, for example, um, with, the, with the sales agent. You, you know, if we're communicating, giving advice to our client and, and, the, and their professionals, you know, there's some things that, that aren't relevant to the sales agent. So we, can, we have a bar- barriers in place for that. But ultimately, um, yeah, we want to make sure that everyone knows where things are at, um, that things are done by, by the due dates. Um, and uh, and that just makes the whole process a lot easier for for property investors. Yeah, um, and they've got the comfort that everyone everyone's on the same page and, and knows what's happening. Yeah, um, brilliant. No, I think uh, that platform it, is really good. Actually, um, I've I've had a lot of good feedback. I think it's a lot of conveyances are going that way, but I think perhaps you were one of the first, or it's a, definitely comprehensive. So it's um yeah, it's a it's a good innovation. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, investors need to realize that. Um, I mean, all, all the exciting stuff is done, right, once you've, once you've signed a contract, but there is this legal process uh, to go through, which is often parallel to the finance mm-hmm. process, and there's, you know, um, there, there is stuff that needs to be done. So they need to engage, uh, even, if it's, even if it's just signing documents or confirming instructions. Um, uh, and, and, and a lot of stuff is time critical. So, you know, if you, if you haven't uh, given instructions to your lawyer uh, about waiving a due diligence clause or a finance clause, uh, uh, you know, um, if you haven't done that before the due date, uh, you may lose your right uh, to terminate the contract under due diligence, or the contract might be, in some jurisdictions, deemed to be sat- the finance condition might be deemed to be satisfied, which mm. means that if you end up don't getting finance, it's too late. You can't pull out the contract. So, yeah, when 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 your lawyer asks for instructions, um, it's really important to to provide those as soon as possible, um, and if for whatever reason. You can't, or you need more time to make a decision. That's fine. You know, we, as long as we know in advance, then we can ask for extensions to those due dates. Yeah, right. And I, I don't think for anyone who's listening, I don't think this needs to be like a stressful process. Like I know we're, uh, Richie's talking about a lot of different concepts and maybe some of them are going over our heads. But honestly, it's it's not, from a process perspective, it's not that difficult. And in fact, all good lawyers or conveyances will actually probably send you like a sheet or at least have somewhere with all the key dates on it. So as long as you calendarize them and you don't just like space out, you know what's coming up. Like just before you put an offer in for the property on, on contract, send it off to the conveyance or get them to check it out. Like we've been discussing, once you get it under contract, let the conveyance know. Don't just assume that the agent has let them know. Let them know Absolutely. yourself yeah. as well. And then let them know when you're getting your finance done. So it's just a case of like connecting your broker with your conveyancer, or if you could just be the middleman, it's it's not that hard. And then same with the building and pest, you're calling up building and pest uh, person, getting that report done as soon as you received that report and had a chat with the building and pest person to make sure you understand the report. Once again, just email your, your conveyancer and said, I'm all good with the building and pest, mortgage broker confirms finance is done, email your conveyancer, Yep, finance is done. The conveyancer will then email the seller's conveyancer. You go unconditional. So it's like, you know, there's no need to be daunted by the whole process. It's pretty simple, but it's so essential to have a really good solicitor or conveyancer in case things go wrong. And then, of course, they're kind of holding your hand through the process because they're the experts. So was that a fair summary? <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned paper and emails and, you know, we we even removed that. Yeah, use stuff. your Rundle yeah, system. Yeah, we use yeah. Rundle. and and we have um, 
we have little you know 60 second uh, videos at key stages in 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 the process and the journey um because we know people don't like to read long-winded lawyers letters um and 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 usually don't so um yeah we just we just sort of summarize in a easy to understand video at key stages so they know what's happening next so and rather than saying okay you need to do this is all the stuff you need to do for the whole transaction and the transaction can take you know anywhere from 30 days to 90 days depending on jurisdiction um, and longer if they're buying off the plan. So uh, we we let them know when they need to know about what they need to do. But most stuff can be done digitally, whether it's signing stuff by DocuSign, even verificational identity, which is there are really strict requirements um, that, have, that have come in the last few years. Um, and, and there are a few alternatives, but, you know, we've got a system where they can do it using their mobile. Um, they essentially take a selfie and then and then take a photo of uh, your passport and driver's license, then nominate someone you know to do the same. Mm-hmm. And that's that comes back to us and that, that satisfies the highest threshold of verification identity. So rather than having to go to your lawyer's office or having to go to Australia Post Office, you can just do it after work at home. Yeah. Um, so there's little things like that that can make the process a lot easier. Yeah, no, totally. It's 2023. And I think, yeah, maybe emails are archaic. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you certainly don't need paperwork and, and all that sort of thing. So I will leave a link below to uh, Law Lab's uh, link and you can kind of check out their Rundle system and, and what they're all about. But just before we wrap up, Richie, was there anything else that you wanted to to mention? Any last words of advice for any investors out there? Uh, not, not particularly, no, but yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and, you know, um, your listeners can, yeah, can feel free to reach out to me or, or the Law Lab team. Uh, we're always happy to help. Um, I guess the final, yeah, final piece of advice is it's always better to do a, to get a contract reviewed um, before you sign anything. Um, and, you know, most lawyers can turn that around pretty quickly. So um, get that done before you do sign the dotted line. Okay. Great advice. Um, thank you so much, Richie, uh, for, for making time. It's it's really cool of you. Once again, I'll leave a link below to Law Lab's um, website and you can go, go through that and, and check out what they're all about. Of course, there's lots of great uh, lawyers and conveyances and solicitors out there. Um, but Richie's obviously right at, up at the, at the top end of that. So um, go check them out. And thank you so much. I'll see you next week. See you later. Guys. No worries. Thanks, PK. Cheers. Thanks, Richie.